so 40 Days for Your Night, thank you for signing up, um, for coming. And so today in the seminar, we're going to talk about temptation. No, Andrew talked about temptation in the seminar we were just at. Um, but I'm going to lead on from that. And basically, if you, you probably haven't read the blurb, I guess, if you didn't read the previous one. No. Uh, does anybody want to read that for me? Andrew, it's right in front of you. Thank you. Read that out for us. Uh, we have all heard the age-old question, what came first, chicken or the egg? Well, what if I asked you, you, what came first for you, like we're saying? Like the chicken and the egg, you can't have one without the other. To be human, it is, is to be a sinner. You can trace us all back from highly unique individuals to human beings and eventually all of us to sinners. As life begins for an individual, they are, they are held as the purest form of innocence, parents desperately trying to protect them from the sin in the world, and yet we are born sinners. The that sin is just an ingrained into us as the gene that gives you your eye colour. The very thing that supposedly separates us is the exact thing that makes us all sinners. sinners. We are flawed not by design, but by our own inabilities, our inability to resist. In this seminar, <coughs> we are tempt We will explore further human nature as well as how to deal with temptation, using the guidance of Scripture and God, learning and recognizing our own flaws and dependence on God, including how to deal with failure and shortcomings. Thanks. So. so. It, I, that blurb is kind of abstract and that's what I, I want the seminar to be like because I don't think it's appropriate or it's very relevant for me to say do this and do that to resist temptation because it's not going to work for everybody. There's no formula that I can give you to say this is what you do when faced with temptation and this is how you're going to deal with it. So I sort of thought, well, let's look at temptation in a different way to inspire you to find a way of resolving it for yourself because it is... A very hard thing to do and it's a very personal thing to do because you're tempted by very unique things and it's up to you therefore to decide whether you're going to give in to it or not so i want to guide you in helping you to find those solutions yourselves and obviously i want to reiterate what's been said throughout the weekend is that you can talk to us about individual things very specific things if you want general things we're here to talk and guide you through it but i think in a seminar it's good to talk in general and find something that will inspire you to therefore go on and look at it outside of the weekend. So life is a very complex thing and I wouldn't ask anybody to define it, but we are, in life we're faced with multiple decisions. Life is a series of decisions we make and we have multiple paths that we can go down. And we begin the journey of life with so many people. You know, think about how many people in this world, you do not know what life is like without those people. Um, and we face with this journey and we watch as many people choose different lives than us and we go down different routes as each other. But death is the loneliest thing you can and will experience in life. You know, death this sort of, it's a taboo to talk about death because it's so dark and it's dying, but death isn't something that should be depressing as Christians, you know. Death gives life meaning just as much as love gives life reason. So death gives life perspective. 
death gives life meaning. And so you need to be able to stand in life being able to make your own decisions and life choices. Because like I said, that's the loneliest thing you can do and will experience. So you need to be able to say, in life, you know, Elvis, I did it my way. You're doing it, well, essentially you're doing it God's way. But it's a personal choice you need to make for yourself. What are you going to do in this life? How are you going to respond to this temptation that you're facing? So... Recently, I watched a documentary film called Free Solo. Has anybody heard of it? No? It's only an Oscar award-winning documentary of the year, but okay. Um, the Free Solo is a documentary film that it shows a person, a man called Alex Honnold, as he climbs a 3,000-foot cliff in America without any ropes or any man-made objects to help him climb this cliff. He does it free solo. He does it without anything to help him climb. Instead, he climbs this cliff by using ridges, like millimeters thick. He's just putting his like, fingerprints at the top in the hole in these cliffs, and he's climbing this, this cliff to the top. And if he slips, if he makes one foot wrong, he's, he's dead. He will fall to his guaranteed death. There's no question about that. He would have died if he made one simple mistake. And previously... In the week before he did this, he watched as his close friend fell off a cliff and died. And a week later, he did it himself. In life, we take larger risks than climbing a cliff without any ropes. In life, every single day, we put things on the line that we are not fully aware of, the scale of. And yet, our palms aren't sweating. We're not nervous in making these decisions in our lives, are we? Think of a decision in your life today that you've made that would make you scared or nervous. And yet every day we wake up sinners. Regardless if we're saved or not. You know, if you're saved, doesn't mean you're not a sinner. Every single day, we all as Christians wake up as sinners. It's only by God's mercy that we have been absolved of that, of that sin in God's eyes. So, a life without Christ will result in a fate similar to if Alex Honnold slipped on that cliff. As Christians, if we slip up once, no, not as Christians, as unbelievers, if they slip up once, that's it. That's game over. If they sin once in life, that's it. They're going to be punished in hell for eternity. And it is absolutely guaranteed that those sinners will slip up. Why? Why? Yeah, we are born with sin. Now, that's, a, that's an interesting concept to talk about. Like I said in the blurb, a child is portrayed as this ultimate form of innocence when it's born. So much so that the parents would die for them, protecting them from any evil in the world. But they're born sinners. What have they done to sin? Tell me, nothing. They haven't done anything. They haven't killed anybody. They haven't lied. They haven't stole. They haven't swore. They haven't done anything that we could say, we could pinpoint saying, okay, they sinned there. But they're born sinners. Why? Because they're born human. They were born with this default of the inevitability of sinning. Because we are, as humans, 
easily tempted, easily swayed, easily distracted. So that is what we're faced with today as Christians. The fact and realization that we are these sinners and we need to actually have a backbone, stand up and make our own life decisions in our lives and realize that we need Christ in our life because if we do slip up once, that's it. We're not going to get a second chance if, we don't, if we're not willing to believe in God. So, as young Christians in today's society, you're presented with more choices than any other previous generation. You know, some, what sort of things would you, what decisions do you make in your life today? It's, you would consider a big decision. Nothing. Right, G C S. So, give me an example of a big decision you've had to make in your life. Changing schools. Changing schools. Okay. G C S E subjects. So, would you agree that there's a lot of things you could? How many schools could you choose to go to? Lots. Lots. How many G C S E subjects could you choose to do? A lot. Okay, and even simpler decisions to make. What phone are you going to get? What movie are you going to watch? What are you going to do on Sunday? What are you going to do after this weekend? All these choices you have to face. And whether they mean something or whether they're just time killers, you have to make these decisions. And we're faced with so many options to make. And I researched um, how many movies have, have been made. I was kind of curious to see. Does anybody want to start, have a guess? How many movies have been made? Since when? Since, I guess, the first movie has been made. More than a thousand. How many did you say? More than a thousand. More than a thousand, okay, yeah. Like Anybody else? A hundred thousand. How many? A hundred million. A hundred million, okay. Anybody else? Okay. So we've got a very, f over a thousand to a hundred million, so it's probably a broad range, but. I, the figure I found to be the most um, reliable, I would say, is 2,702,243 movies. 2 million? Yeah. So nearly, nearly 3 million. Nearly 3 million. So assuming an average running time of one and a half hours, that would mean that there's 4,053,364 and a half hours of film that you could watch. Average life expectancy of a person, 77.7 .7 years which is 680,652 hours. You have to watch, watch it. Yeah. It would take six lifetimes to watch every single movie that's ever been made. Would that be time well spent for a life? No. no. We are constantly surrounded by alternative, alternatives, alternative options, alternative decisions and choices. And yes, this has allowed people to develop personal opinions, tastes, preferences, hobbies. However, in the midst of all that choice, in the midst of this, this crazy world, is its creator, is God. And we often lose sight of God through temptation. And we decide to either do something sinful or almost completely forget about, about God entirely. So how do we deal with this? Okay, how, would you, how do you go about dealing with this? So you're presented with so much choice. How do you find God out of all this choice?
probably the biggest question you face in your life. How do you find God? You're told to. Okay. So you're told to and you'd be guided towards God, yes? Um, so in the context of it being temptation, how do, you, how do you, at this minute, at the current time, get out of temptation and finding God? So give me an example of where temptation can distract you from God. Everything, okay. Sleeping in the synagogue church. Sleeping in the synagogue church, yeah. Good one. Anything else? Xbox. Okay, yes, Xbox. Things like movies. You're going to spend hours, obviously, like we just talked about, watching movies. You could just get yourself caught up in making stupid decisions or thinking about too many things outside of your spiritual concerns. So there's so many options you can do. Think of many things you do in your life currently for yourself and for earthly things and think about all the things you do for God. And you probably find yourself realizing that one side of that scale is heavier than the other. And it should be heavier than the other, but it should be heavier on God's side and not the earthly side. So we are all struggling with temptation and it may be a problem considering the silence in response to those questions for some of these, is that you do not realize how much you're consumed with temptation, that it may not even be a problem to you at this minute, or maybe, or maybe the opposite scale where temptation is not a problem with you and you can find your way through it, but you can never truly do that without help of God. So in this, in, if you're faced with temptation, to sin, where would you go to help you? What would you do? You've got a church, okay. What if it's not a Sunday? Or an, an evening where there's church service? Yeah, people from church. Um, go and talk to people from church. I know there's people you can call at any time from the church. You could talk to you know youth leaders, Sunday school teachers, um, helpers, leaders, parents, friends. Um, or what would you do if you couldn't talk to somebody? You didn't want to feel if you didn't feel comfortable talking to another person. What would you do? You pray. Yep. And what else, sir? Not talk to them. Okay. Well, I wouldn't recommend dealing with anything by yourself. Um. So prayer, and I would say the Bible. Um. I was kind of hoping someone say the Bible, but they didn't. So, where would you go in the Bible if you want to look up temptation? Give me. Well, we talked about it with Andrew. Stories. So we talked about David. Joseph. Um, Judas. Judas. Adam and Eve. Yeah. No. Yeah, Jesus being tempted in the wilderness, right? So who's familiar with this with this account? Jesus being tempted in the wilderness. Yes. Boys on the couch, Philip. Yeah. You familiar with the account of Jesus being tempted in the desert? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Tiaris, you familiar with it? You familiar with that, Sam? Yeah. 
the story of Jesus being tempted in the desert? Well, we're going to go through it anyway, so just pay attention. If you've brought a Bible, you can follow along. It's Luke chapter 4, verses 1 to 13. So listen up, and we'll talk about it, and we'll find out how Jesus responds to temptation. Ultimately, Christians are meant to follow Jesus' example, so obviously there's multiple things you can learn from this account. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. I trust that people with phones out do have a Bible on their phone. Or if they're being tempted to look at something else on their phone, they would learn to resist that too. So Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to you anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So let's talk about a few key verses there. Obviously, it's very relevant to this seminar and to this issue, but let's focus on a few key verses that really tell us how to respond to temptation. So verse 1 says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So what word is repeated in that verse? Led, good. Led's a good one. He was led by the... He was led by Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is also repeated in this verse. So obviously leading and the Holy Spirit go hand in hand, but also very important in the context of this passage. Why do you think that is? So the very first, the very start here, Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. Absolutely key when you're going to be faced with temptation. Guaranteed, it will happen very soon, if not right now. You will be faced with temptation. And the best way to deal with temptation is to be prepared when you're faced with it. And how is Jesus prepared to, face, to be faced with temptation here? He just quotes the Bible. Yep. He was led by the Holy Spirit also in verse 1. Good. So, but interestingly here, Jesus was being led into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Holy Spirit led Jesus to be tempted. Why do you think that is? Why do you think we're tempted so much? The test. Test. You know, we don't like to think that we're being tested because obviously test isn't a good thing to use at least. When you're older, it's a, it's a true reflection of where you are. You need to be tested. You need to be challenged. And irregardless, if you like the result of that test, doesn't matter. 
as long as you respond to that result and deal with it accordingly, that is what a test is for. And that is why we are tested as Christians to become better, to improve. And as humans, we have much room to improve. So verse 2 then. Forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So we're told here that Jesus didn't eat anything. And what was the very first temptation the devil performed for Je- on Jesus? Yeah. So Jesus knew, or the devil knew that Jesus was hungry. So the devil focused on that and used that as a way to tempt Jesus. To perform this miracle on command. Why do you think that's significant? Any ideas? The devil was inside his head. The devil knows exactly what is going on, correct? The devil knows your earthly and physical cravings. So he does. He knows the things that will tempt you to the extreme. He knows your weaknesses and he's trying to trip you up tirelessly. And often how willing you are to say no reflects how close or how much you want to be close to God. The test that we're talking about here. So verse 4 then, Jesus answered, It is written, man should not live in bread alone. And then there's other version that says about man lives on, on the word from it, from, of every word that comes from God's mouth. And like Matthew said, earlier is that Jesus is referring to what the Bible says. So when we're dealing with temptation here, we're told, A, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, okay, and two, to refer to the Bible. One of them is easier to do than the others because you can pick up a Bible and you can read it. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, that's something maybe you should explore in the Bible first. And it's a very personal experience. And we should all, we all need to be filled of the Holy Spirit. So verse 8 then, Sort of skipping a bit down there. So Jesus answered as written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So we, we often worship the things we're tempted with. That's a harsh reality, is that if we place things before God, i.e. the things we're tempted with, if we put those things before God, we are essentially worshipping them more than God. So you need to have your priorities straight. And Jesus here is saying, Worship God and serve him only. Verse 10 says this, For it is written, this is the devil saying this, For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. So, interesting turn of events, Jesus, or the devil, is referring to what the scripture says. Similarly to Jesus' early response where he referred to the scripture. Now, this is quite interesting because we need to look at this as a point of a Christian. So we need to find God's voice for ourselves. If we have a middleman as our sole connection and communication with God, if we have this middleman, are we really that close to God? No, we're not. If we're relying on this middleman to deliver us God's words, we are not the closest we can be with God. And that often provides a loophole of which temptation can slip in when we're not close to God, when we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. Because we're relying on some other person who is, by default, a sinner. We're relying on that person 
TV or communication with God. Cut out the middleman. Find God yourself. But also, obviously, fellowship is important and we need to learn from others as much as we need to find God ourselves. And we often need the help of others to find God for ourselves too. Jesus, this is verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So this is another important point, is that we do not test God's mercy either in the face of temptation. So don't exploit God's forgiveness. You know, we're always told Jesus saves, Jesus forgives. Yes, Jesus does forgive, but he also punishes. Jesus is not a fool. Jesus is the exact opposite. Jesus knows absolutely everything about you. He knows your heart, knows your soul, knows your mind. So there's no point being delusional in trying to exploit God's forgiveness. Being a Christian is not buying a ticket to go to heaven. You may need to wake up on that fact. You don't become a Christian just to go to heaven. In fact, you become a Christian because you have a desire to serve, please, and love God because you're grateful what God has done to you in your life and what he will do for you after this life. It is only by God's grace and love does he want to spend eternity with you. It's not up to you to say, okay, I'm a Christian because, you know what, I want to take it to heaven. No, that's, that's a reward of people who love God, who want to serve him, who, want, who desire and long to have be close to God, want to spend time serving God and helping spread the word. So verse 13, when the devil had finished all of this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So the devil has left him. But what did they say at the end? An opportune time. The devil isn't finished here. The devil is always going to try and tempt you to lead you away from God. The devil wants to steer you away from God and he's tireless, tireless in his efforts of doing so. So you need to wake up and smell the cookies because you need to be prepared for this if you're not already. You need to be, for the facing temptation, which is what the seminar is. Well, you're, you're going to wake up. That's what you're going to do now, isn't it? Yeah. Good. So, the question you should be asking yourself is, has the devil got me or God? And that is the test of temptation. That's the answer you get from a test of temptation. Is how close are you to God? Or how far away are you from God? So that is that passage covered. Does everybody follow that? Does anybody have any questions at this point? No. So for those in senior Bible class, which is actually very few of you, and only one of them was at the lesson that I took, this is you, Pedro. But anyway, so it's worth repeating, I think, because I took that lesson not knowing that this was going to be the seminar I was going to take, but we talked about what, Andrew? Oh, yes, yeah, sorry. Um, it was the one that I used, the reference of the film. Oh, yes, about the two sides of every conscience. Yeah, we, well, we talked about battle of subconscious, which goes on in every one of us, yes. So... It was basically, we talked about the cyclical nature of sin as a result of a human inability to resist temptation. The film's called Enemy, and we use that as a guy who struggles with temptation of adultery, a temptation of being unfaithful to his wife. And we looked at this person as he struggles with the idea 
or struggles with the reality of his of his sin, of the wrongdoing he is he is doing to his wife and his loved ones, because he's so tempted by being with other women. We looked at this man as he battled with his subconscious, trying to win a war with his other part that wants to be sinful, to the other part that wants to be loyal to his wife. And we see this conflict end when he finally defeats that bad part in him that wants to commit adultery. But when we, at the very end of the film, we realize that it's not the case. That part of him is always going to be there. That part of him that is tempted that is weak, that's unable to resist, is always going to be there. The temptation's always going to be there. And when he thought he overcame it, he realized he didn't actually do that. So there's a quote from the film where he says, this is a cycle that repeats itself through history. It's so easy to find yourself being content with failing over and over again. How many times have you actually said, I'm not going to do that again because it was sinful? And you actually didn't do it again. Very rarely does it actually play out like that. However, to also quote another line from the film, history repeats itself. The first time it's a tragedy, the second a farce. So at what point does our own shortcomings and failures make a satire of our own lives? A joke that is so pathetic we laugh at it. At what point do we say, you know what, this is actually laughable at how pathetic and weak I am that I'm giving into temptation so much. This is a problem. I need to address it. Remember, history repeats itself. The first time it's a tragedy, the second a farce. We need to learn from our mistakes. So we do. There's two world wars. If we learn from our mistakes from the first one, there wouldn't be a second. Or there wouldn't be many more wars to follow after that. If we stopped mass shootings in America of the first one, how many school kids would be alive today? If we learn from our mistakes the first time, we would be much better humankind. So, we are all born sinners. We already talked about that. Not because we were born blaspheming, lying and killing, but because we are human, therefore by default, we will feel and give in to temptation. But as Christians, we believe that this is not the end. Okay? We recognise that we are sinners and that what Jesus did by dying on the cross provided us with a way out in the form of forgiveness. So forgiveness today is such a watery and loose term used to symbolize a person getting over something. You know, your teacher tells you to say sorry, shake hands, move on. You know, that's, that's staged. It's almost a formality to move on, to progress. But this is not the same forgiveness Jesus offers us. Does anybody want to have a guess at why that that's not the same forgiveness Jesus offers? Jesus doesn't forgive just to get over things. You know, it's not something that he has, that's sort of, I don't know, a hurdle, really. It's a hurdle for us to be close to God. But it's not something to get over. Jesus actually erases it. He erases it completely, the sin. And how great is that forgiveness? You know, we forgive, but we hold grudges, don't we? Yes, we forgive, uh, but we don't forget, is the saying. But that's not the forgiveness Jesus offers. Jesus offers to erase sin. He recognizes what we've done. He accepts it. And that's it. That's it dealt with. 
its entirety. So with Jesus' own blood, he removes our sin in God's eye. Now, God can only look on perfection. So we need the sin removed completely and erased, which is the forgiveness Jesus offers. Yet we still have sinned and we are still our sinners. But as long as we ask for forgiveness, we should be forgiven in this way. But remember not to exploit that, like we said earlier. But it's also easy to get down on yourself when you realise how often we sin and how broken we are as humans in giving in to temptation. We can realise that, you know what, I am human. And it becomes almost a point of acceptance. We just realise that you're human, you're going to slip up and you're going to fail. Does that make it okay? No. We should want to be better than just people who give in to sin and temptation. We want to be better than that. We want to be better than just humans. We want to be children of God. So it does make a difference if we step up once again. It does make a difference if we give in to temptation one more time. It does make a difference. Okay. So while Jesus will always forgive, he knows who we are and what we have done. He doesn't expect us to be perfect. He knows why he was born and he knows why he had to die. He wants us to do, he wants us to delight in trying to be like him, trying to live up to the expectation, to be the best version of ourselves, to change our heart, minds and soul in the face of temptation. So what does that really mean to change your heart, mind and soul in the face of temptation? Well, your heart. You should desire and want to show God how much you love him, especially when you know the sacrifice God made for you. Also changing your mind, we should be more thoughtful of the consequences of our actions. Open eyes, yep, welcome. So we should be more thoughtful about the consequences of our actions. And we'll talk about that in a minute, about actual severity of what's actually going on in our lives. Like we said with Alex Honnold climbing that at the top, I said, you know, what's at stake here in everyday, everyday life here? And also our soul, we should be completely committed to God in our desires to be with him in heaven. So, if I was to put a microphone on you now, right? If I was to look at some of your phone history, would you let me? Yes. Good boy. No? Okay. So... That's the question I'm going to give with you is, would you actually let someone look or listen into what you say? Most people say no. But in reality, God hears and sees everything you do. So what's the difference? Why are you so okay with doing these things in the sight of God? And so appalled by the idea of someone else hearing you say something or see you do something. There's a problem there and let's get to the point of it. So, do you worry about your friends and family? If, if you're anything like me or most people I know, yes, I worry about my friends and family. Do you worry about death? Do you? No. Young teenage boys, maybe not. But we should. Why? Because obviously we don't know when death's going to arrive and we're prepared to face death like Jesus was prepared to face temptation. You should fear death. Why? Because we're told to fear judgment. We are. 
So because only God knows our hearts and we should be fearful because we should know how awful we are as humans. You know, the song Amazing Grace, we are wretches and God saved us as wretches. So let's delve into this a bit more. So how do you picture eternity to be like? Eternity is forever, never ending. Okay, what do you picture it as? You should all have an image in your head, I think. Any, any suggestions? Anybody want to share? Yeah. Well, when I was a kid, when I thought of eternity, I thought of a staircase that always climbed and climbed and climbed, but never ended. I was constantly climbing. And that, that struck fear in me. Never reaching an end. You know, an end provides a solution. A definitive point we can say, that's it. Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He celebrated in that ending. But with eternity, there's no end. So you need to realize, you are going to spend eternity somewhere. You are. You're going to spend eternity somewhere. Realize that. Spend a minute now and think, eternity, this never-ending thing, you're going to be somewhere. And it's up to you now to decide where you're going to spend it. And there's only two options you can spend it. Where are, what are those two options? Heaven or hell. There's no middleman. You've cut that out, like I said earlier. There's nothing in between. It's either heaven or hell. That judgment you will face about this life, how you respond to temptation. So are you willing to walk that rope, that tightrope in life when faced with temptation, knowing the consequences and the severity of your actions when you are judged. You could spend eternity in heaven or hell. We are always told not to worry because problems are temporary. We're always told, oh, there's always a silver lining. This is not the case in hell. There's no way out of hell. It says, in Luke chapter 16, there's a great chasm that's been formed between those in hell and those in heaven. Cannot be crossed. In the story of rich man and the story of rich man and Abraham, the rich man said to him, no, the rich man and Lazarus said, the man who was rich went to hell. And he said to Abraham, just give me a drop of water on my tongue. He cannot stand the agony of hell. I hope, I hope you all know what hell is. It's a place where there's nothing but the most extreme form of pain and suffering for eternity, never-ending pain and suffering. The Bible talks about hell more than heaven because you should be scared of that. You should be conscious of what hell is and again, not taking that for granted. So, there's a great chasm before in heaven or hell. You cannot cross it. The guy said, or the Lazarus said to Abraham, tell my brothers. He clearly cared about his family like we all do. Tell my brothers this is what they face if they do not change their lives. They will face the same agony and pain. I cannot bear the stance seeing my loved ones in the same place where I'm suffering so much. He says, go and send angels and tell them to change their lives. What did Abraham say? Does anybody know? Excellent. Well done. That that's really good. So he says that go and he said or he says no. We're not going to send angels to them because they have Moses. 
They have the prophets. If they're not going to listen to them, they've heard the news. There's nothing new to tell them. They've heard what, what it is. They heard the fact. Like you sitting in this room today, you've heard the facts. You're presented with clear things. Clarity is what you've been provided with today. He says, go and send these people to tell them to try and to avoid hell at all costs. And he says, Lazarus says to Abraham, go and, go and tell them about this. And let's see if I can look it up quickly, but... Um, 16. So he says, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. Now, you're in the position of history where the most, imper- most important person ever lived on this earth raised from the dead. Who was that? Jesus. Jesus. So now you're faced with historic fact. Jesus rose from the dead. So you're presented with that evidence. He says, they will not be convinced even if someone raises from the dead. Are you convinced? Jesus has rose from the dead. Are you convinced? It's questions you should be, you should be answering for yourselves. There are many practical tips to resist temptation. Go and look on BuzzFeed. I'm sure they have some nonsense on there about that. But it's different when talking about temptation of sin. You know, there's one thing about being tempted by eating an extra chocolate bar. There's one thing being tempted to sleep in. And there's another thing being tempted to actually commit and perform sin. And the best tip I can actually provide you is to actually wake up and realise the severity and what you're putting on the line here. It is a scary thought. That's the position. You should have the want and the desire to please God every single step of the way. You will fail, you will trip up, and God will forgive you. But it has to come from a place sincere. You cannot be a Christian in only by name. Faith or action is meaningless. And it is awful to think about hell. It is awful to think about consequences of our actions. But to not think about that is the most careless thing you can do. To take life for granted and take consequences of our actions for granted is so reckless. So I hope you all realise today that God loves you so much. He wants to spend eternity with you so much. And what are you willing to come into the way between you spending eternity with God in heaven? Tell me. Or tell yourselves. What are you willing to be your ticket to heaven? What are you willing to come, into that, to come in between you and God? What's so important to you? Do you have to give in to that? Learn from your mistakes. Strive to be better. Now, are there any questions?